Well, good morning. Welcome to Soul City Church. How awesome is this? We're just getting y'all sugared up right before the message. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, until like 15 minutes from now when y'all crash, but that's all right. Uh, this is so fun. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and it is so good to be with you today. It's so good to be in this space. I love it. We are just uh, a week away from our seventh anniversary, our grand opening, and still a ton of work being done on this space. All throughout the week, folks are here and uh, making it happen. Uh, unbelievable to see the transformation in this space from day to day uh, as we get ready for what God has for us next. We have been, for the last couple of weeks, in a teaching series where we have camped out on one passage as our central theme. And in the midst of all of the demands and all the distractions of life, and even as we're getting ready for our you know, grand opening, our anniversary, getting all that stuff in order, we wanted to make sure that we didn't lose our focus. And so we have been uh, camped out in Hebrews chapter 12. You don't need to grab a Bible and turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. But it's such a beautiful picture and a powerful picture of where we're at with God at all times. It says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's such a beautiful image, isn't it? That there's all these people surrounding you. Uh, just this morning, during our last gathering, our nine-year-old daughter, Gigi, ran her first 5K. She ran the hot chocolate 5K. How awesome is that? Did you run a 5K today? No, you didn't. And so she ran the 5K this morning. But what we have is like all this video of all these people around cheering her on. If you've ever run the marathon or any kind of race like that, you know that feeling of people who are there who may not even know you personally directly, but they are for you. And that's what we have. We have this great cloud of witnesses from saints from the past to believers around the world cheering you on. So the writer of Hebrews says, let's throw off everything, every layer, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and trips us up and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's be about what God has for us to be about in this life and in this world. And then this is where we got the idea for this whole teaching series. It says this in verse 2 fixing our eyes, focusing our eyes, our attention, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on everything else around us, not on other Christians, not on any of that stuff, on Jesus and Jesus alone. Because he is the pioneer and the perfecter. He's the one who began and he is the one who will complete our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, enduring its, its shame, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as we get ready for the new day that God has for our church, that's what we want to do in the midst of all of our demands and distractions of your everyday life. We want to fix our eyes, focus our eyes on Jesus, because when we do, we end up seeing everything else differently. It becomes a whole new lens for you to see yourself in this world when you fix your eyes on Jesus. And today we want to look at how we view the future. We want to look ahead. We looked at what God has done. We looked last week at what God is doing. We want to look ahead at where God is going and what he's up to and how we can be a part of what God's doing in the world in the future. And how do we know how, that God is for us in our future? How can we have confidence for all the things that we uh, cannot control? So here's what I want you to do, just to kind of get how much you actually think about the future without even realizing it. I want to have you turn to the person next to you and you're going to share something. So just turn real quick and say, hey, just real quick, hey, hey. All right, cool. So here's what you're going to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you. And in like 30 seconds, this is not your chance like to just go on and on and on. 30 seconds. And I say this all the time. So like introverts, 
It's only 30 seconds. You can do, thir- you can do 30 seconds, right? Extroverts, it's only 30 <laughs> seconds, okay? It's real tight. Just a little point I want to prove. I want you to share with a person next to you one thing in your future that you're excited about. What's something coming up in the next couple of weeks or next couple of months that you're excited about? Maybe you're starting a new job. Maybe you are moving and you're really excited about that. Maybe you're excited about Thanksgiving, the holidays. You get to be home with family. You're excited about that. What's one thing, just one thing, big or small, it doesn't matter, that you're looking forward to, you're excited about in the future? Go ahead, take 30 seconds and share that with someone next to you. Got a few things you're excited about. That feels good, doesn't it? Just talking about it right now. Feel a little bit better about your day, about your life. That's exciting. All of us have something, I'm sure. A few things we're excited about in the future. That's awesome. So here's now what I want you to do. I'm not going to ask you to share this with the person next to you. Uh, Here's what I'm going to have you do. I just want you to think about for yourself. What's one thing in the future that you're not looking forward to? What's something coming up that you're not excited about? Maybe you're starting a new job. Maybe you're moving soon. Maybe you have to go home for Thanksgiving and see your family. Same categories, but maybe you feel differently about it. What's something, I want you to think of, maybe, maybe for you there's, uh, end of the year means, you know, work is just chaos for you. As the year comes to an end, you know what that's going to mean. As you think about, oh man, what November, December means, you've got to go, oh man, you feel like a pit, you know, in your stomach, oh, I don't feel, you know, maybe uh, for you, there is a relationship you're in the middle of, and it's kind of on the ropes right now, and as you think about the future, you don't get excited, you're concerned, you're scared, you're wondering if this thing's going to make it, if you're going to be alone. I bet all of us have things in our future that we think about more than we even think about, that we're not excited about, but I want you to take just those, those two things, something that you're excited about in your future, something that you're not excited about in your future, and I want you to think about this. Of those things, whatever they may be, what percentage of control do you think you have over the outcomes of those things? Like if you had to put a number on it, what percentage of control do you actually have on whether it'll actually happen, whether it will be all that you hope for, whether it'll actually happen and be as bad or as overwhelming or intense as you might think? What percentage of control do you think you really have over anything in the future? That that question drove a study not long ago, that, you know, that thing that drives what we think about so often, our worries, our fears, our concerns about the future, globally, even beyond ourselves, and also personally within ourselves. And the National Science Foundation uh, recently performed a massive, big study on fear, worry, and anxiety, specifically as it relates to the future. And this is what they found. Of all the things we think about about the future, do you know what percentage of them actually comes to pass? 92% of all the things you think about about the future don't actually even happen or you have zero control over. Doesn't, you just don't get to have control. Does that seem like a ridiculously low return on emotional investment? 
that you can spend 100% of your energy, your thoughts, your anxiety, your excitement, fixating on a future that you have at best 8% control over, that you might actually see come to pass. So that's what I want us to look at today. As we think about the future, I want us to look at how you can have confidence. How can you be confident in the face of a future that you can't control? How can you be confident? How can you have a confidence within your soul in the face of a future that you're excited about or scared about or whatever it may be that you ultimately actually have no control over? All of our fear and all of our even excitement about the future is a way of sort of focusing our thoughts and energy, again, on something we we don't really get a huge say in. But we like to do that. We like to exhaust all kinds of time and mental energy and emotional energy because at least it lets us feel like we're doing something. When we realize we ultimately don't really have any control over the future, at least I can worry about it now or think about it or fixate on it now because then that's at least getting something. I can check that box off. But really, how, if it's true that we have very, very little control over things that are well beyond our control and life and the world around us, how can you have that kind of confidence? That's what I want us to look at today, that you can actually have complete confidence, even in the face of an uncertain, unpredictable, uncontrollable future, if you know where to look. So I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you have a Bible with you, fantastic, got it on your phone, awesome. If not, do you see right under your seat there should be a gray Bible that you can grab there? We'd love for you to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please steal a Bible from church today. Like if you don't own one, just steal a Bible from church today. So you get candy and you get to steal a Bible from church today. Best day ever. So go ahead and take that and turn to page 685 in the gray Bible. That'll help fast track you to Matthew 14, page 685. Let me give you some context as where we're at. Jesus is well into the three years of his public ministry. His disciples have been with him for a little while now. And the crowds were beginning to grow that followed Jesus. They were growing and growing and growing. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to see him perform a miracle. They wanted him to heal them. And right before the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus does one of his biggest miracles in front of one of his biggest crowds. It was the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe you've heard this story before where there was a huge crowd of people gathered there and they didn't have anything to eat. And so Jesus performed a miracle of making much out of little and everyone was fed till they were satisfied. And in fact, the text tells us that it was just 5,000 men that were counted that day. It's kind of how they did things back then. And so it was just 5,000 men. So it's likely that the crowd was anywhere from 7,500 to 10,000 people gathered there to see Jesus. I mean, it's a wonder he didn't have to add a 1 p.m. service too. So they were all <laughs> gathered there. It's a huge, high, an incredible miracle, an unbelievable moment. And then look what happens in verse 22. It says, immediately. So in other words, right after that, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, this is an interesting choice. This was a momentously high moment for his disciples. This is something they'd be talking about for the rest of their life. But right after it happens, Jesus says, no, get in the boat. I want you to go to the other side. I'll meet you over there. Why would he do that? I mean, because at this moment, you know, Peter's kind of like, well, Jesus, no, you're killing the vibe, man. I was signing autographs and telling everyone I'm in the band. And like, now you tell us we got to go. He's like, go. I want you to get to the other side. I'll stay here. I'll flip the lights on. Tell everyone that you can't stay. You know, you got to go home, but you can't stay here. I'll do kind of the bouncer thing and get everyone out. But you go, because there's something actually significant that's going to happen over the next few hours with these disciples. So it says in verse 23, after he had dismissed them, 
he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted, beaten up by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, there's several things going on in this verse. First of all, what's important to pay attention to is that Several times throughout the Gospels, the writers of the Gospels draw our attention to what would easily be an overlooked and unnoticed pattern and practice of Jesus, that he would regularly pull away to pray, that he had a practice in his life of, listen, fixing his eyes. Because if you were Jesus and I were Jesus, well, they probably wouldn't have written this book about us. It would have been a hot mess. But this Jesus... (laughs) knew that all the call of the crowd and all the demands of all the people could easily take his focus and his attention. He knew that he had to pull away to fix his eyes, to continue to focus on his father and his love that he had for him. And so regularly, Jesus would just pull away to pray. And in that little section we just read, it says that They had been out for hours, and they were a considerable distance off the shore, and Jesus was up on a mountainside praying. I've actually been to where they think, archaeologists think, this is where he probably sat, and I got to look out over the Sea of Galilee. You have an unbelievable view from this mountainside, and so you can imagine Jesus seeing them out there as he's praying, and he knows what's about to happen next. He's probably praying for them as they have been out for hours trying to get this boat to the other side. In fact, several of the folks who were in that boat, his disciples, were fishermen. This was their home turf. They had fished on this sea many, many thousands of times. They had sailed around here so many times. It was so familiar to them. And to get from where they were to the other side, on any given day, probably a couple hours journey at best. I've made that journey in a sailboat. It's an unbelievable experience. It took us about two hours to get across. So maybe two or three hours. But here we are well into the night and they still aren't to the other side. That's because Jesus was about to do something that none of them actually expected. Verse 25 It says, shortly before dawn, probably right around 4 a.m. in the morning. So again, they'd been at it all night, defeated, depleted, exhausted. Jesus goes out to them walking on the lake. I love this because remember when Jesus sent them across, he didn't tell them how he was going to get there. He just said, you go to the other side. And then he gets all Jesus-y and decides to walk across the lake. Like that was his plan all along. So there he goes walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, it says they were what? They were terrified. And you probably would be too. They were terrified. And then this, I love the Bible. I love how it just reveals the honesty of our hearts and our This is what they say. Having spent years with Jesus, having just been with him in a miracle of feeding 5,000 people, I mean, who else is out walking the lake at that hour, but all they can think of is, it's a ghost. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out, they squealed. Let's just say they squealed in fear. I Love this moment. They just had this mountaintop experience with Jesus. And here he comes doing another miracle, walking on water. And they think it's a ghost. They get all shaggy and scooby in the moment. It's a ghost. <laughs> that didn't work at the 9 a.m. either. And I thought I would <laughs> double down and try it with y'all. But it's not, that one's not you. That's on me. That last, I thought that would work. That's, 
duly noted. All right, so it says this. So they're scared, they're in fear. They think a ghost is now approaching them. They're exhausted, defeated, depleted. Verse 27, but Jesus, what's the word? But Jesus, immediately, you see it again? There it is, immediately, without pause, without delay, Jesus immediately said to them, and listen to these words. I, bet, I wonder if this is the whole reason you came here today. Or the whole reason you're listening online, wherever you are. Listen to these words. Take courage. Take courage. It is I. It's me. You know me. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know me. It's I. I am here. Take courage. What a powerful phrase. Take courage courage when you feel overwhelmed and out of control. Take courage when the horizon of your future is unclear. Take courage when the wind and the waves of your life pick up. Take courage when you are defeated and depleted. You can take courage when you feel like you're losing more ground than you're gaining. Take courage and when you can't even muster up the courage of your own. Jesus says here, take mine. Take mine. Take courage. It's me. I'm here. I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to let fear take the wheel. Take courage. So, Peter does. Verse 28. I love this. Lord, he says, if it is you, still hedging his bets. If it is you and not a ghost, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. This is a pretty interesting request. He could have said, if it is you, stop scaring us. Just get in the boat. Can you do something about the wind and the waves? But what he says instead is, if it is you, well, tell me to come to you. Draw me out into your presence. I love what Peter's doing here. He's like, um, do you remember that game you used to play in grade school at like recess? Remember Mother May I? Do you remember the game Mother May I where you'd have to ask permission, you know? So that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, you know, little Mother May I, may, you know, Jesus, if it is you, then tell me to take 10 scissor steps, and I will. <laughs> and Jesus is like, Peter, no, you forgot to say Messiah May I. <laughs> nailed, it. nailed it. That makes up for the, nailed it, nailed it. All right, good. All right. I love that still uncertain, still uncertain, still filled with fear and faith, Peter calls out in the midst of the storm for that still small voice, that familiar voice to say, okay, if it is you, just tell me to come to you, to step out into the unknown. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 29, come, Jesus says, all right, Peter, you want me to invite you? Here's your invitation. Come, come on out. The water is fine. Come on out in faith. And it says, then Peter got down out of the boat. He actually did it. And it says, he walked on water and came toward Jesus. This is a, ma this is a significant moment. Jesus calls Peter out into the unknowable, uncontrollable future to do something that he's never done before, to go where he's actually never gone before, to trust Jesus like he's never trusted Jesus before. It is an amazing miracle to consider, and I think it's easy to overlook. It's an amazing miracle to consider after feeding the 5,000 that Jesus actually walks on water. You know that's a miracle. It's a miracle. He walks on water. But what's easy to miss is that no less of a miracle is Peter walking on water. 
Peter did the same thing Jesus did. And later Jesus would say, hey, when I'm gone, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to do greater things than I will do. But here it's happening in real time. Peter's doing what Jesus is doing in the moment. And do you know what that means for you and me? That means if Peter can do it, then you can do it. And I can do it. I can step out in faith, trusting him to do the impossible, stepping into the unknowable, uncontrollable future. But... Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. Now, what happened here? The story was going so good. I mean, he's walking on water, but something shifted, something changed, something happened. The text doesn't tell us that like Jesus kept moving backwards just to mess with Peter, you know, so he had to go even further. It doesn't say that the wind and the waves picked up even more, so that caused more fear to settle in. It's not like he saw a shark or another boat coming or something like that. It wasn't any of those. Nothing like that changed. What simply changed was that he took his eyes off of Jesus. He forgot to fix his eyes on Jesus, and he began to look around And he began to see where he was and what he was doing. And the future that he was stepping into, this new reality with Jesus, got washed over by all the wind and waves of that present moment. And he began to sink. And isn't this, I don't know about you, isn't this we so often do? I remember when we were teaching our son Elijah to ride a bike without training wheels. He was crushing it with the training wheels, but come on, anyone can crush it with training wheels. So <laughs> we were teaching Elijah how to ride a bike without training wheels. And I remember telling for him, he, you know, the, the motion, all that kind of stuff was there. But for him, it was all about where he was looking. Because he would be riding his bike. I'd tell him, son, your body is like, it's, you, you want to ride a bike. It wants to stay up. It wants to keep going. All you got to do is just keep looking forward and keep pedaling. I'm telling you, you'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. And so he'd get started, but then he'd get so excited that he was doing it that he'd look around at everyone else to let them know that he was doing it. And then sure enough, he'd crash. And then he'd blame me for telling him to get on the bike and he'd be all upset. So we'd dust him all off and get him going. And then he'd get going again and he'd see a car going by. And so he'd look at the cool car and then he'd crash again. And this happened again and again and again. So we just had to say, Elijah, all you have to do, just keep looking forward. You're going to see so much more and go so much further if you just keep looking forward. And that's the same. The same is true when it comes to us having the faith to step into an unknowable, uncontrollable future. It's just like riding a bike. You keep your eyes fixed and focused ahead of you on Jesus. And then it's just one foot in front of the other. You don't have to have it all mapped out. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to get out of the boat, fix your eyes on Jesus, and take one step after another. But back to Peter, who currently in the story is uh, sinking. (laughs) Verse 31 says this, and I love it. Here it is again. Look at this. What is the first word there? First word of that verse? Immediately. Immediately. See, there it is, three times. Immediately. Immediately, without delay, without missing the moment. Immediately, Jesus reached out his what? Reached out his hand and caught him. And then he says these words. We'll get to in just a second. He says, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, a couple things on this really significant and important verse reveals the heart of God and where we can call out and find him. I love that 
The text says that immediately, immediately, as he began to sink, immediately Jesus reached out and grabbed for him. Didn't, didn't punish him, didn't shame him, didn't judge him. There's no judgment here. There's mercy. There's love. And it's not like Jesus is standing in the water going, well, Peter, I mean, you got yourself into this mess. You're going to have to get yourself out of it. Hope you pack some floaties, bro. Like you got to, <laughs> like it's a long swim. It's a long swim. You know, and you can see, I think so often, this is why we have such a hard time trusting God with our future and following him where he's leading us because we're so afraid of doing it wrong and that if we do it wrong, he's going to judge us and say, see, you didn't do it perfect, so you're on your own. You didn't get it exactly right, so guess you got to drown in your own decisions. I wonder how much that fear is rooted in our resistance to get out of the boat. Because we have such a wrong view of a God who's standing there, arms crossed, waiting for us to walk on water, rather than arms open saying, come, I'm here, come. So then we see too, and I never noticed this before until I was studying and preparing for our time here this weekend, that the text says that immediately Jesus reached out, remember what it said, immediately reached out his hand. See, my, I've heard this story a lot of times. Maybe you've heard the story before. I've studied, read the story before. Never caught that before because my picture of this story was that Peter had the faith to get out of the boat, took a couple steps, and then began to sink. And probably the reason that was my interpretation is because often that's my experience. A couple steps, I'm like, oh, Jesus. And so like that was my, you know, he was just right, just off, a couple feet off of the boat. But think about it. The text already told us that Jesus was far enough away so that they thought he was like ghost distance away, where they thought he was a ghost that far away. Peter had to walk that distance to get into the proximity of the presence of Jesus to where all he had to do was reach out his hand and save him. Now can you begin to understand why Jesus would say, oh, Peter, oh, you were so close. Look how far you've come. Why did you doubt? Look what you've done. Jesus doesn't doubt our faith. It's us who doubts our faith. We lose our attention, we lose our focus, we forget to fix our eyes. And thankfully, 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 we can call out to a God who is already here. Already here and reaches out his hand to save us. We forget how far Peter actually walked in faith. And as far as I know, currently to this day, he still holds the record for longest distance walked on water by a non-deity in human history. He went a considerable way, close enough to get to the hand of Jesus and call out for Jesus to reach out to him. You have no idea. I have no idea. I don't even think we really know how far your faith can carry you into the future. And you're, I'm so quick, you're so quick to have all our stories about how God is going to judge us for not having enough faith. We judge ourselves for not having enough faith. All you got to do is have enough faith to get out of the boat and put one foot in front of the other into an unknowable, uncontrollable future, walking towards a God who's saying, come, you can trust me. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Closing up the story, verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Of course it did. 
You got to love Jesus. It's like, all right, show's over. Got it. Everyone got the lesson here? All right, let's just get right across. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are uh, the son of God. Now, it's, it's really easy to read this story and think about how Peter failed. Totally easy to go, oh, Peter, you were walking on water. Oh, and then you blew it. You failed. And to a certain extent, that's true. He did, he did fail. He didn't walk all the way to Jesus. He forgot to fix his eyes. He did begin to sink. But the truth is, you may think of Peter as a failure. But look, when I read this story, I see 11 other failures still sitting in the boat. I see 11 other followers of Jesus who didn't have the courage to get out of the boat. And they were kind of stuck in their own comfort, their own security, even though they were going nowhere. At least Peter was going somewhere, but they were still stuck in the boat. 11 other of them just kind of stuck. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. We've never done this before. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What I don't know. Oh, there goes Peter. And this is like, <laughs> there he goes again. Only one of the 11 chose to actually take the courage that Jesus offered to step into uncertainty, to step into an unknowable, uncontrollable sea of the future and to have the confidence to know that when you step out, you focus, you fix your eyes on Jesus, he will guide your steps. This is a fundamental faith principle. Easier said than done. But the lesson we can learn here from Peter, if you are facing your own uncertain future, if you're, uh, you look out ahead on the horizon, you have fears for your family, fears for your kid, fears for your job, fears for your relationship, you don't exactly know how it's all going to pan out, fears for your finances, you're not sure which way to go, and maybe it feels even at times like the wind and the waves are picking up in your life. Here's what Peter has to tell us from this story today, is that when I give God my attention, he gives me my direction. When I give God my attention and I say, okay, you got it, it's yours. My eyes are focused. I'm fixed on you. He guides my steps. The Bible says that whether you go to the right or the left, there's a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. That We actually see here in this story from Peter that he could have, done all kinds of other things, but he had enough courage to say, I'm going to fix my eyes on you, and you will guide, you will guard my steps. But when we take our eyes off of him, that's when you and I begin to sink. How can I, how can I possibly know where to go in my life or what's next for my life if all I'm ever looking at is the wind and the waves? What are those going to tell me about what's next or what's possible? If all I ever do is look at everyone else in the boat for direction. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Rather than fixing my eyes on Jesus. If all I ever do is stay stuck in the safety, the relative safety and comfort of the boat. If I want God to give me direction in my life, I have got to give him my attention. I don't get it in a little sound bite. I don't get it in an inspirational Instagram post. I get it from giving him my full attention. Not just, listen now, not just on Sundays, not just on small group, but when my feet hit the floor in the morning, I say, you've got my attention today, Jesus. As best I can, I'm going to look for you. I'm going to listen to you. My eyes are open. My heart is open. My life is open to you. 
And I'm going to choose as best I can, wherever you lead, to get out of the boat, whatever that may look like, and put one foot in front of the other. Your life is a boat. The wind and the waves are your circumstances that surround you, that at times collide up against you, rocking you this way and that. And the, the future is a horizon just beyond what you can actually see. But what you can see, standing there, dead center, on the horizon, is Jesus. And his invitation is the same to you as it was to Peter. He is saying, come, you can trust me. Rather than getting distracted by all the things that are coming at you, I want you to focus on the one who is calling to you. You can come to me. You can trust me. I know you don't know where to go. I know you've never done this before. I know this is all new to you. You can trust me. I am the master. I created the winds and the waves. I created this whole world. You can actually trust me even when your future feels unknowable and controllable. And when you do lose focus, when you do fix your eyes on everything else other than Jesus, here's the great promise that this story teaches us. You can call out to him and immediately he will rescue you. He's not going to make you feel, you know, sit in it, swim in it a little bit like, oh, well, I want you to feel how bad you messed up this time. He reaches out immediately with mercy, not judgment, and says, all right, Let's get back in the boat. Let's regroup. And I'm going to call you out again tomorrow. I'm going to call you out again into a future with me. That's why you don't have to feel fear when your future feels unclear. That's why you can actually have confidence in a future you can't control because you know where to fix your eyes. So what would it look like for you this week to do just that, to do what we just talked about a second ago, to make a practice of prayer for you, like how Jesus would pull away, to just say, okay, this week, I'm just going to start. Before I rush into my day, before I grab my phone and look at email or look at social media, my first breath is going to be, you have my attention. I'm here. I believe you're here. You told me not to fear. You told me to take courage. I can't control what's going to happen in this day today. Do you know that every day you wake up, you have no control over everything that's going to happen that day? Some things, about 8%. There are so many things you have no control over. So why not invest your emotional energy, your thoughts, your actions in the direction and the attention of Jesus? Say, you got my attention today, Jesus. And make that your practice of prayer this week and see what unfolds as each new day leads you closer and closer to Jesus. And as I think about our church and I think about where we're at in this now moment and where God is leading us, I want the same, Jeannie and I want the same to be true of us, that we, all we want to do is follow Jesus. We don't want to follow what this church is doing or that church is doing. We don't want to follow this trend or that trend or what everyone else says we ought to do. We don't want to just stay stuck in what we have done and where we have been and just kind of keep circling around on the lake. We actually want to move forward in faith, however, wherever he may be leading us. And if you're wondering what that looks like for a church to do that together, here's what I want you to do. Just look around you. You're sitting in the middle of a miracle. This building is the evidence 
of a bunch of ordinary everyday people getting out of the boat and trusting God with an unknowable, uncontrollable future. This building is never about bricks and mortar. It's never about lights and lasers and all the fun stuff. It's not about that. This is, you are in the midst of a miracle, and this is not normal. This is a special thing. We're not more special than any other church. I'm just saying God's doing a special thing here, period. And guess what? He's doing lots of special things around the world. You're in the middle of it, though. This is evidence of people saying, I trust you, God. You've got my attention. A couple of years ago, a bunch of folks from this church said, I, I can't see what the future holds, but I know where God's leading us to open our doors as wide as possible to as many people as possible so that anyone and everyone can experience and know the love of God so that others can experience what I've experienced here so that more and more people can experience more and more of the transforming love of Jesus. They got out of the boat of comfort and they took courage and they trusted God. And I'm just telling you, this is evidence of what it looks like. And so as we move into a time of response and giving to God of our hearts, our worship, and giving to God of our resources, I just want to close out with letting you know where we're at right now as a church and where God is leading us. If you were here last week, you heard me mention this, but we're living in the midst of a miracle as a church. Two years ago, we kicked off a faith-raising adventure where we said to folks, look, we, we believe God wants to make more room, as much room as we can muster, and so we want to open doors as wide as possible, and so would you give to what God is doing here? And we had a God-sized goal when we set out and kicked off for the love. Our God-sized goal that our church was going to take care of the part of the whole uh, you know, process that our church was going to take care of was $7 million. What? $7 million. Like that is a God-sized goal. To us at the time, we go, oh God, how are we possibly, we're five years old as a church at the time. How is that possibly going to happen? That seems impossible, unknowable, uncontrollable. Oh God, only God. And so a bunch of folks said, I believe that's where God's leading us. And so they committed two years of trust, of generosity, of joyful sacrifice, and began giving towards this vision, this miracle that we're sitting in right now. And just, if you were here last week, you heard me say this, I want to just give you a report. Uh, as of this weekend, this church has actually given, like given, not just pledged, but given of that $7 million pledge, they've given over, you've given over $5 million as a church. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. It's not normal. It's not normal in our world for people to say, yeah, I'm going to invest in a future I can't see and people I may never know. Totally, I'm in. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus and he calls us out of the boat, we do whatever we got to do to go wherever he's leading us, to wherever he's calling us. And we just want to say thank you. Oh my gosh. How could we possibly say thank you? And my hunches, for those of you who have been a part of this journey, you'd say, no, 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 don't thank me. Thank God. Because he's changed me from the inside out. I've never trusted God like this before. I've never given to God like this before. And some of you have actually completed your commitment. Some of you still have a little ways to go. But I wanted to let you know that's where we're at. 
so far in this miracle of generosity. So for those of you uh, who are good at math, you've already figured out the equation. Uh, you know that there's still $2 million, just under $2 million that we need as a church uh, to complete our part of this whole process that God has uh, led us to. And so I'm just telling you, like, that, those are the facts. Those are the numbers that all of us have a part to play. And maybe you kind of got in the game of giving before the love, but over the last couple of years, you know, the wind and the waves of your finances have picked up or the wind and the waves of your job, your circumstances have picked up and maybe you've kind of lost sight a little bit and forgotten. I just want to encourage you today to see through what God led you to. That's between you and God. It's not between us and you. It's between you and God. To actually see it all the way through. And if you need help to reach out and say, Jesus, help me do what you actually called me to do. Or maybe you were not even here when we started this, or for whatever reason, you weren't a part of For the Love. And so I just want to let you know, we want you to be a part of it, because the only number that ever mattered all the way through for us is 100%. We want everyone to play a part in this, however that may be. Some of you can give $100,000, $250,000. Some of you can give $100, $250. The zeros and commas don't, that's not what we're interested in. It's you saying yes to God. That's really what we're interested in. It's you getting out of the boat and trusting God. So if you want to hear more and know more about For the Love, I'm not going to talk anymore about it in this time. We've talked about it a little bit in the past, and so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. You can just go out to the lobby and talk to one of our amazing volunteers out there. You can go on our website, soulcitychurch.com slash FTL for the love, FTL, and get more information. And I want to encourage you to pray about being a part of the miracle that God is doing here of maybe for the first time in your life or maybe yet again getting out of the boat and trusting God and saying, I believe that he's leading me to this and he will see me through this. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to be one of those ones who stays in the boat and goes, man, I wonder what it would have been like. I guarantee you, for the rest of his life, Peter never looked at that water the same. Yeah. Never looked at that water the same. And I wonder if those other 11 disciples ever looked at it the same too and ever wondered, I wonder if what would have happened if I would have gotten out of the boat. That's all we want. I'll close with this. I remember an old preacher hearing this years ago uh, be said, and I loved it. It stuck with me then, and maybe you've heard it before. I think it's a perfect way to close this time and to respond to God. He said, he said this. He says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I think that's a perfect way to walk into tomorrow. I don't know what the future holds. You don't know what the future holds. None of us knows what the future holds, but you can know who holds the future, the one who holds it all together, the one who says, do not fear, I am here, take courage. And so I want to pray for us before we give today and respond in worship. So if you would open your hands and open your hearts and prepare to respond uh, to God together, I'd love to lead us through that right now. Will you join me as we pray together? Thank you, Jesus, for that invitation, same one that you gave to Peter. You call out to us and you say, come. Trust me, step out into waters that you've never stepped into before. Let your faith carry you further than you ever imagined. And God, for those of us who feel maybe overwhelmed or we feel defeated, depleted by the unknowable, uncontrollable future, God, we pray that we would know today that we can hold the hand of the one who holds the future in his hands. That we can literally, God, 
know you and walk with you as you lead us into the future. Thank you that none of it is a surprise to you. And thank you, God, for when we take our eyes off of you and get distracted by every other thing around us, your hand is right there when we call out to you with mercy, not judgment. And you bring us back into your arms and you say, let's go at it again together. And so, God, as we give to you right now, as we trust you with our resources, as we offer our worship up to you, God, I pray that you would be pleased and that we would experience a tangible experience of your love for us right now in this moment. It's in your name that we pray and we give and we sing. Amen.